happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 243 on December 29th. 2021. My name is Dr. Jason Eifer, and in uh, 40, 50, 52 hours, I'm going to be the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And joining me, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am doing great. I'm appreciative for calendar reminders because having the extremely rigorous vacation schedule that I do. If I hadn't had my Apple watch go off and remind me, I might not have been here, but I want to say happy birthday to my mother who is unlikely to actually uh, tune into the show, but I'm going to say that nonetheless. And I am here in Oklahoma city where I am still the technology integration and innovation specialist at the Cassidy school for a mere five more months. And I do not have any job announcements. However, I will say that after applying to 19 positions, there are three that I actually know some people in high places, which I hope might make a difference. And so, yeah, hopefully I'm going to have some interviews here in the next couple months and have some exciting news to share. But we may stay in Oklahoma. We may be, uh, you know, headed out. Who knows? But. We are here to talk about some tech news, and we took the week off last week. So uh, did you celebrate Festivus, Jason, in, in some way? Was, I, the steak, was a steak a Festivus celebration? <laughs> no. Uh, steaks were Christmas dinner. Um, I did. I'm trying to remember now what I did that night. Um, I think I had tacos, which is actually a perfectly appropriate, appropriate Festivus meal. But, yes, there was Festivus festivities uh, uh, last week as part of my, my celebration of, of the multiple holidays of, of December. So Outstanding. And I'm hoping that you had some Christmas weather. Snow on the ground? Yeah, very much so. Like... And, in fact, we've got wicked cold coming. Um I don't think we're going to hit below zero in Missoula until later this week, but like it was, it was negative 15 last night in, in Helena. And then the place I always look is that Northeastern Montana gets some wicked winter weather, but um, Wolf Point, Montana, which is in Northeastern Montana, they were expecting negative 38. Um, it is currently, that's without wind chill. That's like a regular, that's without wind chill. Yeah. That's the actual temperature. It's negative 18 there now. And it looks like uh, their low on Friday will be negative 26. So that's 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 real cold weather. That's not that fake cold weather uh, that that you read about uh, 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 or see on television. This is the real stuff. So we have had a ridiculously warm, you know, December. I don't even think we've had a serious hard freeze. Um, it's been in the 70s regularly in in the last week. Um, I think it was in the sixties today. It's just been really bizarre. Somebody said, Oh yeah, we paid for this, you know, last year when we did the, the ice storm. Cause a year ago in October was when we had this early ice storm and we really didn't have a fall. We just jumped, jumped right into winter. But yeah, I think next weekend we're supposed to get some cold weather and it, maybe we're going to get our first heart freeze, but wow, what a bizarro, bizarro winter it's yep. been. 
So what are we here to do tonight, Dr. Neifer? Besides well, talk yeah. a little bit about, you know, the, the cursory weather. Update. Sure, sure. Um, uh, well, the weather's always delightful to talk about, especially when you're from states like Montana. But the Antic Situation Room is a once-week podcast where we take a look at the headlines. And Wes and I have combed through the tech news, slowed down a little bit. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, in part because there's been nothing really new to announce, um, and the, the holiday tends to uh, diminish the amount of, of uh, news focused on tech. But we found some articles that we'll discuss tonight. Uh, you can always see all of, of, of the links we're, 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 we're taking a look at, whether we talk about them on the show or not, at our website, edtechsr.com slash links, and that will take you to this shockingly large Google document uh, that we've uh, amassed. Uh, for now, uh, January will be our six-year anniversary of uh, uh, doing the podcast, which seems really out there that that we've been going at this long. Seems like just a couple of weeks ago we were getting started on this, but uh, we're thankful for all of you that have been along for the ride. So, um, Wes, is there any particular place that you'd like to start this evening? Oh, let's see. I uh, did contribute some articles tonight, so I'm not feeling like the slacker I felt like last night. Uh, let's talk about, I, I didn't drop, you dropped an article in, so I didn't do another one, but The Verge, December 28th, Alexa told a child to do potentially lethal challenge. Um, fortunately, mom was there to say, you know, don't do that. And she said, if my kid's smart, wouldn't do this. But evidently you can ask, Madam A, I shouldn't have said her name, uh, to, for challenges. And so there is a popular challenge going around TikTok where you're supposed to partially unplug a light bulb or sorry, a, a um, socket, a, 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 an electrical socket. Uh, you're supposed to, you know, unplug a little bit and then touch a coin to see whether or not you get sparks or a full on fire. Uh, obviously, really, really dangerous. And so Amazon did confirm that this happened and that has fixed the error. This is the first time I've heard of something like this. I mean, we've we probably all heard this last fall, I think, about the TikTok challenge to like, you know, damage and vandalize things in your school and video it. And I know in Edmond schools north of us, they had some incidents supposedly attributed to this. And so they're just different viral, you know, things that, that people on TikTok and who knows who that is are encouraging. But this is the first time I've heard of sort of a smart assistant gone bad. And it reminds a little bit of the Microsoft chatbot a few years ago that they were going to allow the people to educate. And it became this really profane, sexist, and, you know, uh, racist and horrible um, personality that they just had to shut down. And so anyway, um, this was a bit of a surprise. So, Jason, I'm sure, you know, in the course of needing things over the holidays to help entertain you and cure boredom, you've been asking Madame A all the time for the latest challenges. <laughs> and we're really happy to have the latest TikTok challenge just, you know, show up as part of her repertoire. Well, uh <laughs> It's funny you should mention this particular topic because um, I th this was the area of my doctoral dissertation research where I took a look at so-called smart assistants uh, from a, the context of education. And I will tell you, when I first saw this headline, I just assumed that this was that this was a parent that was overreacting. This didn't actually happen. Right. Um, and I'm glad that I clicked on further articles down the road because this Verge article actually has Amazon confirming that it happened. But it also makes a broader point that I think is something we need to be very mindful of if we're going to use an agent to 
search the internet as opposed to searching for it ourselves, which is when you add another layer to the search uh, a process, um, uh, you know, uh, the um, the Amazon Echo, Madam A uh, tool on, on the Amazon Echo uh, and its related tools, I mean, that you know, when you're asking a question, it has to go out to the larger internet. And I'm using, sure it uses uh, uh, APIs and search engines like Google, for example, uh, for that, that, that reason. But that's another layer of technology that's trying to figure out what your answer is. And unlike when you're on a search engine, you don't have the luxury to, to, to say, no, not that article. I want the next one. Or if it doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing with, you know, you can't really ask again, nor can you ask for more details or even a separate answer. That's just not really how the technology works right now. And that Verge article is super interesting because it, um, uh, it talked about the challenge that Google's had in this because obviously they have an intelligent personal assistant as well. And, uh, there was someone on Twitter, um, that uh, uh, posted information regarding uh, if you asked Google, uh, had a seizure, now what? The info it showed was from a section of a web page describing what not to do when someone was having a seizure as opposed to what to do. And, you know, it just it talks about the challenge here of, of, of parsing correct or appropriate information. Um, because it's, it's, it's interesting. I would assume that part of the challenge here is when you use the word challenge, that's, that's a loaded social media term now, right? That the, uh, 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 we didn't have a chance to talk about this since it happened a couple of weeks back, but the whole TikTok challenge regarding the potential of violence u- utilizing uh, guns a couple of weeks back. I mean, that ended up being a pop, a pop. Some a schools football. canceled school. Yeah. It was supposedly not credible. I read things and whatever, but I mean, some school districts literally canceled school because of this TikTok threat. Yeah. Well, and schools were put in, in, in a, in a basically impossible situation. I mean, there was a lot of, 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 uh, administrator groups, safety groups, uh, some police departments, you know, said that the, that, that the risk doesn't appear credible. But at the same time, you can't, I mean, if something then does happen, well, you, you had a warning, right? Like, and you did nothing about it. Some schools actually did lockdown drills mm-hmm. that day. I think that was terrible. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it just reminds of Columbine and how overall it's just so, inf- this is the dark side of, 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 of media and, and traveling new, you know, news at the speed of light and whatever. It just, you, you kind of wish you didn't have those kinds of influences, but here we are. So, yep. Yeah. Very, Absolutely. very tough for administrators. Yep. All right, where to next, sir? Okay, let's uh, let's do some security articles because uh, I something interesting has happened in the last twenty four hours, and then I found another interesting article I thought would be interesting to talk about. Um, I have several references here to this first one. Um, I discovered this on Twitter yesterday, and that initial article reported to the Record on December twenty eighth that LastPass confirms credential stuffing attack against some of its users. And what's really interesting about this is that. Uh, if you were using, uh, assuming we know the whole story, and I will say LastPass is taking it kind of on the chin in social media right now because uh, there are some people that aren't buying what they're saying. I've been somewhat uh, placated by by their public messaging on this, and if it is what they say it is, I think they've taken an appropriate response. But um, they were under what's referred to as a credential stuffing attack. And what that is is that uh, if you have a... Um, uh, if you have a username and password that 
you utilize over multiple sources, right? So um, uh, you use the same username and password for site A and site B, and site A um, uh, gets compromised, and you end up in one of the large compromised password databases. Uh, bad actors will sometimes utilize uh, those to try to uh, get into other websites, right? So if you used it over multiple websites, that's why we advise, you know, a unique password for every website. So um, the, a lot of people were getting, uh, a lot of people, some people were getting notifications that there were, uh, people were trying to get into their accounts. There's been some uh, traffic today suggesting that maybe more people were getting notifications than actually should have been. That is concerning, but, you know, that, that will work itself in the wash, too. Um, and then that led to a lot of twi uh, Twitter uh, back and forth on this. And then LastPass ultimately talked about uh, or released a, a blog post and, and been consistent on social media saying that, you know, we none of our passwords were compromised, but there were people, third-party actors trying to use uh, uh, LastPass or other, sorry, other website compromised passwords to try to get into people's LastPass accounts. Um so uh, uh, they uh, reported uh, uh, both on their blog and then The Verge repeated their reports today that there were no passwords compromised following a breach scare and that probably was what you do about nothing. But the advice that I gave yesterday, which is the first thing I did, it's been a little while since I've changed my master password on LastPass. So I went yesterday and I've got two LastPass accounts. Um, uh, that I utilize in context of my professional and personal life, I updated my password to a new, a unique, secure password. And so the only thing I want to say here is that, um, you know, if you're using a password manager and both Dr. Fryer and I recommend you do, I think it's a really important part of good security strategy and hygiene to, to utilize a different username and password, I'm sorry, different uh, password for every website that you use. The only way to pull that off meaningfully is a password manager. And um, I like LastPass so much, I purchase a pro account for that. But, you know, you do need to change that password occasionally because um, chances are it's probably that one password is not going to get com compromised. Um, but it's just a good idea for a variety of reasons to do that. So, uh, uh, Wes, uh, I, I, I can't remember. Are you a LastPass person or using another password manager? So I used to. I use one uh, password manager for school. And as I am, you know, looking forward to the transition to new employment this summer, um, I'm actually glad not to have everything conflated because I'll, I'll leave my school, you know, passwords behind in one password manager. And I've got my personal in another. Um, I actually... Today was so thankful to have made the transition to a password manager years ago. I have 579 saved passwords in my personal password manager. That is just incredible. Um, and actually, on Christmas Eve, uh, I suffered a pretty debilitating hack on my uh, virtual private server, uh, which include which took down the EdTech uh, Situation Room website along with some others. And thankfully, my backups have, have all been in place and I've been able to restore them. But yes, thankful for the password manager. Um, my main thought on this is like, I think that it's and I haven't done extensive reading on this. I, I read initially an article and just a few follow ups. 
it sounded like some journalists really jumped the gun in reporting, hey, some people said they, they had a unique password and, and, and LastPass told them to reset it. And that means LastPass has been breached. And that was, I, you know, they, they didn't really have the evidence to support it. And it doesn't sound like it's there in terms of a breach. One of the things that is easy to do is to is to scare people away from password managers. Because, And I've had this conversation with so many teachers. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. It isn't that dangerous. Well, you are, but it's really the only way to do what you're what you have to do. And that is to maintain unique passwords and use long and complex ones and not go insane. So I as we see, you know, sometimes with with journalists. Uh, wanting to get a headline out there, wanting to, you know, be the first one to to break the news. Um, I think that journalists, you know, jumped the gun with this. And uh, it's good that we don't have, yes, confirmed widespread, you know, data breach. Um, uh, LastPass has confirmed that this attack took place, but it's not like, oh, yeah, you know, millions of our users, you know, had their accounts hacked and, um you know, it's going to be on have I been pwned.com because this last pass has been breached. The other thing I'd say is I will not be doing this because I'm not the technology director anymore. But for years, really all pretty much all four years I was tech director, um, I had opportunities when we would gather at the beginning of the year and really mid year after Christmas break to say some things to our faculty, of, you know, about technology. And usually almost every, I think every single time I would talk about security and Credential stuffing is a really important phrase, if you're not familiar with it, to get familiar with and to share it. We're still, many of us on, you know, Christmas holidays, vacation break. Have you talked about security and passwords and password managers with your your loved ones and your family? Uh, credential stuffing. We talked about months ago when Disney Plus came out, there were these headlines. Oh, my gosh, Disney Plus hacked. No, there are passwords for sale on the dark web. And so... Hackers used the emails and passwords that were for sale on the dark web. And they said, oh, I wonder if so-and-so, you know, they have these programs that can do this in an automated way. I wonder if they used their favorite password on their new Disney Plus account. Oh, my gosh, they did. And so people had their accounts broken into, but it was because they were using that repeated password. So I think this is an important article. Number one, to help reassure people that password managers are the best practice for maintaining a secure digital life today. And that's face-to-face life, just your life. And then number two, what is account stuffing? And this gets back to what we've said a couple of weeks ago about the audit that all of us need to be paying attention to Watchtower or whatever the password manager and, and the Google Chrome Actually, Apple does this now within the security and password menu. It checks it against the databases like Have I Been Pwned. Um, Google does this with the Chrome Password Manager, too. We need to pay attention to that. Do you have repeated passwords? Do you have insecure passwords? Do you have compromised passwords? All of those things can be revealed, and it's painful and it takes time, but we've got to go in and get those things changed. So glad for you to bring this to our attention. And I would say (laughs) if there's one super practical thing that sometimes we just, you know, rant, talk a lot about, it is security and passwords. And it just, we cannot emphasize enough how vital that is because it's not a matter. I'll just say, I'll say this. It's not a matter of, will you 
be hacked. You know, it's a matter of when yeah. you will have some kind of compromised account. And just like now with, you know, this web hack and all these WordPress sites, you know, I've had a ridiculous, like almost, well, over 50 websites at one point that I was maintaining or, you know, helping administer and, and whatever. Um, all different passwords, all different accounts. And when your actual server is hacked, you know, that's problematic because it's kind of like a password manager. It's like, oh, great. Now, you know, I have to go change all those passwords. But anyway. All, all of my uh, websites weren't, weren't compromised. And, and again, I'm thankful to, to have a password manager and to be able to deal with it and to have backups, right? Because that's the key. Do you have your data backed up so that the bad guys haven't, you know, caused you to lose data? Absolutely. Well, there's one more quick article that's cybersecurity related, Wes, that I'd like to talk about for a moment, in part because a lot of these things were new to me. But TechCrunch had a great article this morning, uh, Six Things in Cybersecurity We Didn't Know a Year Ago. And I've got one to add to this. It isn't in their article. But uh, uh, let me just state a couple of these headlines or kind of subheadlines here, Wes, and I'd love to get your reaction on these. The first one, uh, ransomware costs businesses because of downtime, not the ransom payments. And... Um, uh, uh, this is not a particular surprise to me, but one of the things that's become really obvious in ransomware uh, attacks over the last year is that one of the reasons why they're so effective is that oftentimes they ask for a relatively low amount of money, knowing that if you can, uh, if, if you can unlock all your files for your organization, um, and pay out, you know, maybe, maybe what seems like a lot of money, but in the grand schemes of things is not. 50K is a good example of that. Um, then you're more likely to pay that, um, to then to have to deal with the, the huge UG that comes when you're clean up after a ransomware attack. And, um, uh, the U.S. Treasury estimates that ransomware operators are, are likely to make more from ransom payments in 2021 than they did during the past decade, in part because businesses know that, you know, even if they increase it to 100, 150,000, that's probably going to be worth it rather than dealing with the cleanup of ransomware. And so, you know, always be diligent. Um, we, uh, uh, I, I get to see a lot of, of, of the smaller attacks occur because of my, my status as an administrator, uh, uh, on our, our, our uh, email network, but we get pretty frequent, um, uh, it's hard to tell if they're ransomware or not, but certainly phishing attacks are really common in our organization. And, and, um, that's certainly uh, true. So as a recovering IT director, Dr. Fryer, are you surprised by this fact at, at all? Oh, I am. I am not. I mean, that was just the, the trend. That's why I wanted to talk about security issues whenever I had a chance to visit with faculty, because it didn't matter what grade level you taught or what your staff role was. You're handling passwords. And some people are going to be, you know, like HR and business office are going to be handling more sensitive, you know, kinds of data and, and information. But we're all we're all handling some kind of sensitive data and information. So not surprised the the trend lines are just you know going to continue to increase and this is not anything that i think we see a decrease in because we're living more and more of our lives online yep. uh and crime pays online and you know there's probably some night you know some batman phrase or something like that you can talk about as far as crime but basically you know if crime pays then and the incentive is there there's really high payouts you're you're going to continue to see a lot of it so get your password manager get your accounts audited get your stuff backed up have a plan both personally on what you will do if you get hacked if your you know accounts get compromised 
turn on two-factor on everything that you can. And then for your organization, uh, ask, you know, doesn't matter what your job is, you can ask, hey, what's our what's our ransomware mitigation plan? Do we have any insurance for that? What, you know, our, what are our backups? And you don't need to be the tech director to ask that question. And they may give you a more technical answer than you need. But unfortunately, there are still a lot of organizations that don't have really good plans for this. And that is like, not having an umbrella and living in Seattle or something. I mean, it is. it would really, really be dumb to not have a good plan. And, and it's so much better to get together a plan and think about that and, you know, make decisions when you are not in the heat of the moment, under attack, the servers are down, student data is inaccessible. You know, Oklahoma City had that nightmare. You know, I think it was right, maybe it was the year before the pandemic, it, but it was in May, right at the end of the year, right? Ransomware, everything's locked up, student information system, everything. Um, and that's going to continue to to happen, to sadly, even even to hospitals and, and schools, which we think, why would they attack? Well, guess what? There's vital information there and sometimes people do pay. So, Yep, absolutely. Um, a couple other quick headlines on here. Uh, cybersecurity, uh, venture capital funding doubled. Uh, over the last year, which is not a surprise to me, and I have a kind of related fact. Um, I know that there is a lot of effort on the, on behalf of uh, career technical education folks to try to get more cybersecurity content in high schools, um, both so that teachers can become more aware as they, they're teaching these classes. That, that helps raise awareness amongst faculty. But then secondarily, because cybersecurity experts uh, are, are at a huge premium right now, um, it's a slightly different uh, uh, kind of programming than folks that are in computer science or coding, which is another uh, high focus effort for a lot of CTE folks. But that's something that my organization uh, is involved in as we look to try to provide uh, opportunities across the state of, of, of Montana for students. Um, that one's probably not a real shock. Um, this one... Um, uh, this one I'd heard about initially in NPR a couple months ago, but... Um, uh, in April, um, the FBI uh, launched an operation to remove backdoors in several hundred uh, U.S. companies where an email server um, uh, was hacked into by ha hackers. Uh, China was ultimately blamed for um, the exploitations, but in some cases, the FBI found it was probably just easier for them to go in and clean up the backdoors than try to go through the official notification process to work with IT uh, uh, in individual companies to do that. And, um, you know, and I got to say, like, the, when I first read that, it gave me pause, but that's probably, they're probably right, then in a lot of cases, them closing that hole was more important, uh, at least at the, at the time, I'm sure companies were notified afterwards, uh, than it was to, you know, wait around to go through formal channels. You know, I just continue to listen to a lot of podcasts about Russia. <laughs> and I tell you what, um, we all need to be ready for emergency preparedness, you know, whether it's cold weather and, you know, the power goes out for a while or it's a tornado or something else. Um, we were, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about uh, this, you know, there was a, a guy who, who really f focuses on, you know, how accurate people are at, at forecasting the future. And, and a lot of times pundits, you know, they get headlines don't necessarily predict the future, but I, I really believe that, in Jason and my lifetime, 
we're going to see some some much more significant cyber attacks against the United States, against critical infrastructure um, that are going to have an impact on our lives. And so um, it just, you know, there, there's there's a lot of stuff that can be overwhelming and what do we do? But, you know, we, we need to, to be prepared to the degree that we can for some, some natural disasters. Um, and, and that, you know, as at an, at an individual level and at, at an organizational level, because it's just, we, uh, we probably underestimate the amount of hostility that both Russia and China have for us in the United States today. And it is, you know, cybersecurity is an absolute growth industry. We absolutely need students to be aware of those opportunities and to find channels to them. I know at the Moodle Moot a couple of summers ago, I had a chance to connect with some absolutely fantastic educators that are doing just great stuff at different levels, uh, some post high school and, and some in high school uh, with hackathons and different kinds of challenges. So both from a pro, you know practical, hey, what are you going to do to earn earn a living, um, you know, in in this wild world of changing jobs and AI, but also, uh, you know, it's just we need folks to protect us, and and every organization needs savvy folks that have some knowledge in this area. So I do think it was quite a milestone for the FBI to not only do that, which is eye opening, but for the judge to to uphold it as well. And yeah. uh, maybe that's a sign of, of the times, but it also, I think, points to the fact that we need to be upgrading. We need to be taking a look at security and we need to be investing in security because, you know, just kind of like with my websites and things, you, you just you may not want to revisit this stuff. But, hey, you got to do it um, because the bad guys are constantly looking for vulnerabilities and software that's not patched and updated gets to be insecure and gets to be a target. And uh, it's, you know, kind of the thing of going on a hike and the bears running, you know, you want to be fast. You don't want to be the slowest, the slowest Joe on the hike with the bears coming. You, uh, you don't want to have the biggest target on your back. And it's pretty easy to do that if you're not making the investment and, and putting in the time to uh, revisit those things regularly. Yep, absolutely. And then one last thing from this article that I also thought was fascinating is that uh, from the article, fraudsters are targeting car insurance sites for unemployment benefit scams. And talk about, you know, uh, uh, creative crooks here. Um, they were talking about how several car insurance companies were targeted in 2021 for an unlikely but increasingly common scam. And the the information they were looking for um, was scraping driver's license numbers because in a lot of states, the driver's license number is important for applying for state unemployment benefits. So that's what, that's what, that's what the scam came from was that, you know, um, it, it's interesting to me in part because the, you know, one of the reasons why driver's license moved away from the social security number, right, was because we want to keep that number more private. Well, lots of things are still attached to your driver's license. So if you're not protecting that number or if it can get hacked into in a, uh, you know, in a database like a uh, 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 auto insurance database, then that's going to provide fodder for thieves. So, again, a super interesting and, you know, uh, Wes, you said it very correctly earlier. This has become a, a much uh, this will become much increasingly critical part of our lives. And the more we can, you know, work together to find good habits to make sure that our information stays secure, you know, the better off we all are. Hopefully my my third TEDx talk is going to get published. I thought it was going to be this fall, uh, but that's what the focus of it is: is being a a um, 
what did I call it? Uh, a technology fear therapist, but yeah. you know, helping, helping folks in your life with password managers. And because it's, it's, it can be easy in, in, to some level to get people scared. It's also easy to be numbed by these headlines. But the key is what do you practically do? So you recognize there's a threat. What do you do? All right. Well, hey, can we talk some tech corruption? Let's do it. All right. So there's three articles. Um, I'll do two. And I think you put in one as well. Uh, this is Axios on December 24th. Russia fines Google $100 million for not removing banned content. Um, as longtime listeners of the show will know, Jason's term for what is happening with a lot of the response to big tech and especially to, um, you know, problems with objectionable content, with overreach and, and privacy and just the whole host of, of issues, especially with, with regard to Facebook, um, uh, but other companies as well. Um, this is so interesting internationally, right? Because the internet is global and laws are different, you know, country to country. And so Russia does not want Navalny um, information. And if you're not familiar with Navalny, um, look at my Twitter feed for this, uh, for today. I was actually listening to uh, a really fantastic, um, uh, what's it called? It was War College and now it's called... Um, something else. Um, Angry Planet. It's a great Angry Planet episode from uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, fake journalists are the latest disinformation twist. Oh, and then I was listening to um, World Affairs talking about Navalny. But Putin, President Putin, okay, uh, dictator Putin, we should probably just say, uh, probably the richest man in the world, by the way, um, hates Navalny, who is his his, his number one um opponent who he's now jailed since he's come back. And anyway, th you know, they do not want to see that kind of information that is counter to the Russian propaganda narrative uh, to be online. So how will Google respond? You know, probably they're going to be paying. They want to they want to stay in Russia. But as we have these different states who have very different values, at least in terms of their leadership and their government with respect to free speech than we do here in the United States and in most parts of the West, uh, we're going to see more issues like that. And so, you know, the Internet in Russia, unless you're using a VPN or whatever, is just going to be a lot different. So I think that was kind of a, a, a milestone in terms of Russian uh, stepping up their uh, censorship of uh, of content by actually punishing social media companies that aren't doing their bidding. Then Ars Technica earlier in the month on December 2nd uh, published a pretty interesting article, Judge Tears Apart Texas Social Media Law for Violating the First Amendment. So this is not international. This is here in the United States in the state of Texas. And <clears throat> what the, the state of Texas passed a law saying was that basically uh, platforms had to keep content even if they found it objectionable online because otherwise it was going to violate the First Amendment rights that people have to free speech. And so the judge ripped this up, thankfully, saying it was replete with constitutional defects. Um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott had signed the bill in September, quote, claiming the law is needed to protect Texans' First Amendment rights against a dangerous movement by social media companies to silence conservative viewpoints and ideas. <laughs> We're not a political show. One of the facts to know about all this is some of the most viral content on, for instance, Facebook, 
are conservative articles and the idea that all conservative voices, you know, are, are filtered on a platform like Facebook or Twitter is completely false. But really important to understand, like, who does the First Amendment actually restrict? It doesn't restrict private companies. In fact, the law of the land, Section 230, says that social media companies need to be making good faith efforts to try and police content. Otherwise, they can can face consequences. Now, things happen. We had a live stream of a shooter in Christchurch, New Zealand, right, that was on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook and YouTube were not taken offline, you know, by the, the FCC or whatever, uh, because they don't have to police with 100% precision all content, which, which you know, violates an acceptable use policy or, you know, norms of, of acceptability, but they do have to police their content. So I thought that was a real positive article, but it also points to how, and this gets back to school and education, we need to be talking about, hmm, the First Amendment. Hmm, free speech. That doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want, wherever you want, because you walk into a restaurant, a private place of business, a company like Twitter, a company like Facebook, they not only have the right and the ability to censor content and to decide what's going to be allowed and what's not, they also have an obligation to do that, you know, under the law. Now we could have section 230 change, et cetera, but I thought both of those articles were pretty notable. Any? Yep comments on those, Dr. Neifer? Um, well, I, the misunderstanding of the First Amendment in our nation, especially as a, uh, uh, you know, I trained as a government teacher, is pretty shocking because the, uh, and, and I, I had my own example of this a couple of years ago. I started kind of a, a little bit of a social media campaign with my friends to try to pressure uh, my local newspaper to turn off commenting um, on on their website because it, it was devoid of any, uh, uh, in my mind, social value and really made the newspaper quite unpleasant to read. Um, and um, I got some pushback from folks that said that they felt like there were significant free speech options there. And, you know, we were able to work through it. And, and I explained my point of view, which is that you don't have any right to post on a newspaper. That's not, you could start your own newspaper. You could stand on a street corner with a sandwich board and say whatever you, well, with, within reason, say, uh, whatever you like. Can't scream, can't scream fire in a crowded theater, uh, when there's no fire. Um, you know, that that's been clearly established by 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 Supreme Court. But I don't think that there is a lot of jurisprudence uh, to suggest that you everyone gets free reign to speak their mind on every platform available to them. And I think it's unmitigated chaos to suggest otherwise. Um, and, and the other piece, too, is that, um, you know, we have plenty of protection for people in the United States that want to release uh, unpopular views via publishing a book, by publishing your own newspaper, by um, uh, hanging a sandwich board around you and, and marching up and down Main Street. That That's all very protected. And, and I would argue you, you should get protect, protected for that. I'm a huge free speech advocate personally to be able to do that. But social media throws a big wrench in this because uh, both there isn't a lot of statistical support that one side or the other is, is being quashed by social media, right? There, there is a, cool. a, there is some evidence to suggest that there is issues, but it's more universal, I think, than some want to claim. But at the same time, you know, if, 
social media largely replaces our avenues for expression, right? Because it's just not effective anymore to put a sandwich board on and march up and down Main Street as much as it is to post on Facebook. You know, it, it, it creates a lot of, of, of very strange situations and issues. And this just brought a couple things to mind. Um, the state of Illinois is one of the first states in the United States to require a, a course and, and content. And I don't know if it has to be a course or if it can just be like modules inside courses. But anyway, high school graduation, media literacy requirements. And some of the folks with the Summer Institute for Digital Literacy that I've been a part of the last three years are are active in that. I wonder if they're including in that some specific pieces about free speech and trying to help educate students about these kinds of issues. There's a, an interesting overlay with citizenship and, you know, the, 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 the government class, as you mentioned, you know, former government teacher, the kinds of things we want students to know about three branches of government and participation and voting and responsibilities and rights and all. There, there's those things that we generally agree, yeah, we want kids to, to know about these things and understand them. So I wonder, and maybe I'll try to find that out. The other thing I'm thinking is, as I hopefully, okay, fingers crossed, if I don't get a university job by spring break, we're going to be looking at other jobs too. But hopefully I'm going to be able to make the, the move into higher ed. And, and that could be at a tier one institution where I'm going to need to do research. I wonder who's doing that research, right? Because we could measure perceptions of high school students about the First Amendment, about free speech. I would bet that a lot of those perceptions are very colored by the polarized media, by parents and things like that. And so I think those would be important perceptions to try to help address factually so that we're not just buying this idea that, yes, all, you know, conservative voices are silenced by social media. Therefore, you know, we need to, um, you know, on that basis, you know, punish the technology companies. I think we do need some regulation personally. Um, but I, it's this is also where the, the tech correction is interesting because you have folks from the left and the right coming from different perspectives. And they're saying, yes, yeah, regulate. But, you know, sometimes they're saying that for different reasons. All right. Uh, you had one other article there under tech correction, I think, and it was something about we won. Uh, yeah, tech won. Now what? Do that yeah, one? there was a really interesting. It's a brief commentary, but it does touch on a lot of the issues we talk about in regards to tech correction. Um, uh, Shira Ovaid, uh, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, uh, is the writer in the New York Times on December 23rd. And um, it's part of their on tech newsletter, which is actually pretty informative. I like I do like the New York Times technology coverage in general. Um, uh, uh, the, the context of the article is that technology won, right? Like the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, uh, there, it's provided a lot of good for our society, but it's also, you know, uh, exposed a lot of UG in our society as well. Um, we don't, we aren't necessarily getting some of the tech we thought would be here right now. And she specifically calls out things like driverless cars and packages delivered by drones, um, uh, that that most people assumed that we would be uh, engaged in, in in those kinds of, of te techno technologies. Now we're definitely not. But the, I loved her broader point, which is um, that our our battle here is to regain the humanity in all this. That you know the the partisan divides that exist in the United States. It, it is very true that they've been extraordinarily. Uh, 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 continue to be shifted because of 
of technology, but they existed underneath technology. Technology only exposed them, maybe made them worse, but didn't create those situations. And so we've probably, I, 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 Lo made this comment probably 15 times in the last year about the tech correction. Part of this is just figuring out, you know, uh, the humanity behind things, like making more interpersonal connections, seeing the human behind the screen. And uh, I liked the, the article. I'd recommend reading it. I thought it was really good. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm trying to think of her name. There's some, there's a really good MIT scholar, uh, Turkle, Sherry Turkle, uh, who continues to write um, books and articles and pieces about that and how important it is that we humanize. And so, Good, good article reference. Well, we've got about 12 minutes left. Where else do you want to try to go tonight? We have, we're not going to get through all our articles. Imagine no, that. not even close, actually. Uh, well, let me give a couple of, uh, actually, you've got one too. Um, a really interesting looking one. Um, uh, Mac World had a great article on December 19th. Um, I, I, I have moved back to the Apple universe and I think I'm going to be in the market in 2022 for a personal MacBook Air. I've got one, I've got a MacBook at work. Um, but I, since I have a lot of ventures, uh, I, I, I keep my work, uh, my work and my, my personal, uh, life separate as much as possible, uh, even on machines. But, uh, the, uh, there is a, a lot of rumors swirling around now about the next MacBook Air since, uh, the, the current model is over a year old now. I think it's a year and a month. Um, old, uh, and a lot of excitement around what's coming in the future, but their estimate is these are the five things that we can expect. One of them, a huge performance boost in the so-called M2 chip, and a lot of the super Apple nerds have been looking at, um, uh, the, um, the current uh, uh, iPad and iPhone chips, so the A15 chip is the one we're talking about, and trying to uh, talk about uh, uh, the performance gains between the 14 and the 15 and using that as a rough estimate of what the performance gain will be between the M1 and the M2. And there is a, um, a, a lot of suggestion that it could be anywhere from 10 to 20% faster than the M1 chip, which is quite impressive considering how much faster the M1 chip was uh, in comparison to its previous generation Intel processors. Um, there is likely to be a brand new design for the MacBook Air, um, uh, 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 thinner and lighter, uh, which would be a real feat considering that the current generation MacBook Airs are pretty thin and pretty light. Uh, but also they are, are perhaps talking about colors, uh, kind of all, uh, the current, um, uh, uh, IMAX that are released, 24 inch IMAX with the M1 chips that are released, kind of going back to the early days of the iMac, uh, when it was released 20 years ago, uh, with a lot of different colors. Uh, great new displays, uh, 1080p FaceTime camera, and then the addition of the MagSafe. So a lot of the technology that went into this year's, um, uh, pro MacBooks will likely make it into the more consumer and education focused air next year. Wow. That is, <laughs> it's so fast now. It's kind of hard to, hard to imagine it, you know, being even faster and better. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, My yeah. Apple article is a little older, but pretty interesting. Um, this is from Ars Technica back in April. Um, and I think I found this, there was a, and I didn't put the article in there, but they're like top 10, you know, tech, tech. Well, maybe it's just the top um, 10 most read articles on Ars Technica or whatever. Anyway, it was one of these end of year things. 
so this is from April. The headline is Apple sued for terminating account with $25,000 worth of apps and videos. And so the, there were a couple class action lawsuits. And I'd like to follow up, and I, I wasn't able to do that before the show, but basically it challenges the, the meaning of the words rent and buy. Now, I don't know if you can imagine an iTunes account where somebody has spent $25,000. I mean, what the heck do you buy? Pretty much every song ever made. I don't know. How, how, much, how much can you buy if you buy everything that's in the store? I don't know. But... Uh, Apple in this lawsuit had argued, hey, anybody reasonable doesn't expect that they buy a song on iTunes and they have it forever. But that's what they were arguing is to say, really, when it comes to this digital content, you're renting it or you're leasing it, you know, because as long as you pay your subscription in the case of, uh, well, and I don't know, this was even talking about buying music. Um, you're not going to, you're not going to have it forever, you know? And, and so they're making that analogy to analog to say, nobody comes into your house and takes the CD and says, Hey, we're, we're taking that back, you know? Um, so I thought that was, was pretty interesting and, you know, we'll continue obviously to, to follow lawsuits with, uh, with Epic and Apple and things like that. And maybe I'll see if I can, can do a follow up Cause that, that was, you know, uh, eight months ago, but, uh, um, I hadn't actually heard about that before. I thought, I thought that was interesting. And yes, it is probably just something I'm take you know, I take for granted that, yeah, if I turn off my Spotify account, I mean, I don't, I don't have the expectation now of actually buying music because I just, you know, rent and, and, and pay for the service, the opportunity, you know, to stream it for a while. But if I don't keep that account, then, you know, I'm not expecting to have that. So anyway, that was an interesting Apple article and evidently was a big red article <laughs> earlier in the year that I totally missed. So. Let's okay, see. let's see here. here. How about uh, how about the cloud broken one? The infrastructure. You want to do that one? Oh yeah. Let let me. Uh, we've. Uh, I've been meaning to to have or to talk about this in general, uh, just because of of the nature of the situation. But uh, great uh, article from Android Central. Um, uh, uh, Jerry Hillebrand on, on December 18th wrote that the cloud may be great, but it's also horribly broken. And they're talking about a couple of instances in the month of December where AWS or Amazon Web Services, which is the, the massive cloud provider, uh, probably the most dominant cloud provider. And if they're not the most dominant, they're amongst the most dominant, including, uh, folks like Azure. Um, and some of the other uh, uh, legacy groups that have huge cloud uh, 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 services. But um, it, what the article talks about is that, you know, obviously the, the cloud provides incredible advantages uh, to, to end users and also IT departments. But, you know, there have been two instances in, in the last 30 days where AWS went down and it took down a pretty serious amount of the web with it. And so things ranging from, um, uh, uh, you know, obviously Amazon and Amazon web services, uh, you know, their, their sites were impacted, but anything associated with Amazon, uh, ring, uh, prime music, Alexa, it went down for a time period. McDonald's app went down. Disney plus went down. Uh, the, the game uh, league of legends went down. Uh, the cloud services provided for that game, uh, went down as well. And, you know, it, it does speak to me the, the standpoint that, 
that fault tolerance and the ability to uh, quickly restore, which is part of the benefit of a cloud-based world, is really super important. And that uh, it's something you want, want to definitely consider if you're moving towards the cloud. But I can also hear that, you know, 10 years ago when the cloud was starting to become popular, I knew some IT folks that you know, said there's just, you know, there's no way I want to subject my end users to, you know, uh, sites being down. And what I what I always thought, and I still think this is probably true in the bigger picture, that the chance of your local uh, web servers going down, or I'm sorry, I should say storage servers going down is probably a lot higher than AWS going down, right? The, the uptime is probably extraordinary on most of these services. But it is worthy of thinking about and talking about if so much infrastructure ends up being hosted on just a few, uh, 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 just a few of these these broadly uh, uh, dominant cloud services. Sorry to get an ad from a YouTube video uh, coming up in my audio. Um, I had to find the link as you're talking there, uh, talking about the cloud. Um, this is a link I'll drop into the, the chat here for a smarter everyday uh, video episode from a few weeks ago on privacy and taking on big tech. He's got some drone video there of several different data centers and just talking about how vast these things are and huge. And anyway, it's like a visualization of, of, of some of what we're, we're talking about here. Um, so yeah, it's uh, again, this, this goes back to security, goes back to dependency, goes back to, you know, where we are as a society, um, you know, and I, I've not read that whole article, but, you know, given the headline, it's we've got work to do. We've got stuff to figure out. Uh, we don't benefit as consumers typically from monopoly. You know, uh, Southwest old grandma bell, Southwestern bell, you know, um, whatever the baby bells would possibly disagree. The, the AT&T of old, <clears throat> because I think they they really like being, you know, the only game in town. But in general, um Anyway, we, we, we don't when, when there's only one provider and that provider goes down, um, you know, there's there's a lot of problems. So we we need to have robust standards. Uh, we, this is something good to educate students about as well and educate them. You know, this is why we need web standards and this is why we need interoperability and we need to have, you know, multiple players. And we need to find ways for there to be stability and resiliency and redundancy and all those kind of things, even when you have a marketplace that's complex where there's not, you know, just one or one or two providers. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's. It's big. And uh, it, uh, the, the personal connection would be, where are your backups? You know, are your backups all on your same server? In fact, I just signed up today for a new backup system uh, that would be better than what I, you know, had previously. Um, I do, I actually do have my backups, you know, going that, that I do for my WordPress sites, but this is for my entire Linux server. And this is to house it, you know, in a different place. So anyway, redundancy, backups, thinking about stuff personally, thinking about stuff organizationally. It's important. Yep, absolutely. All right. Oh, my gosh. Are we almost to the top of the hour? Well, we got we are. minutes. We started, we started a little bit late. We could, we could probably get another article or two before we geek of the week it. Um, um, oh, let me do this one because I, I actually I tweeted I was going to do this one. This, this could be a lot. But San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, yesterday, December 28th, two California teachers were secretly recording, recorded speaking about LGBTQ student outreach. Now they're fighting for their jobs. Um, we could go a lot of different directions with this, um, but the, the EdTech Situation Room sort of EdTech connection, I want to 
bring out here is the teachers were working at a school where GoGuardian is used as a monitoring software for monitoring students. And part of what parents criticized the teachers for was that they noticed some te- some kids, some teens uh, were searching for some things that were related to LGBT topics. And so as a result, they approached those kids to say, hey, would you like to join our club. Now, there's a whole host of really important issues touching on political polarization and things like that. The, the, the thing, though, I wanted to really draw out of this article relative related to tech and, and related to teachers is, you know, the experts cited in the article say that's that is not illegal. Like it is not illegal for teachers to be noticing, you know, what kids are are searching for online uh, using a tool like that and having a conversation with them. Now, if those teachers, and they didn't in this case, were, quote, outing kids or, you know, doing something, uh, you know, beyond having a conversation with them, inviting to a, them to a, to a student organization, which is approved by the principal and legit and all this stuff, there was, n- there was not any uh, illegal teacher behavior here. But certainly that article, you know, speaks to the very, very, polarized times that we live in, how difficult it is to talk about controversial issues, how important it is to talk about them. And then I think the other technology connection is we just really should assume we're being recorded when we're giving a presentation at a conference, when we're even talking with colleagues, sadly, uh, when we're talking with students. Um, There's a lot of examples of that kind of thing. And, um, you know, these these teachers had specifically asked for this 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 small presentation. It wasn't in a public conference, but it was among colleagues at their school where they were talking about the situation. Um, you know, they had asked for for this not to be recorded, and and it was, and it was given to, you know, a, a journalist that um, looked for this kind of content apparently to really create a splash. So, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um... Actually, you know, I, let me read the article. I want to read the article in more detail. Let's talk about this yeah. one next week. Okay. It, it's it's a super it, – it, it can be a catalyst for really, really good conversations. Yeah. And I think it's it, it'll be good to, to take that up a little bit more next week. And and the conversations be, are way beyond GoGuardian and, and technology. It, it's also conversations, um, you know, with counselors, with, with teachers, with the ways that we're engaging with students and the things that we're talking about and do we have safe places – to talk about those at school. So yeah, we can take, yeah. take that up next time. Yep. That's it. All yeah. Right. And there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there. Okay. Yeah. I sort of dropped a bomb there at the, at the end of the show. So, um, should we geek of the week? It? Yeah, sure. And I've got a really quick one I can share. Um, uh, and I checked to see if I shared this one before, cause this is actually a website. I get a lot of delight out of it's called coffeeativity.com and coffeeativity, um, basically plays, background noise that you would experience uh, at a coffee shop, um, uh, uh, lunchtime uh, rush. Uh, there's a university one, which sounds kind of university-ish. 
they have some research behind this that says that uh, that the, the kind of light, dull buzzing of a coffee shop is actually a very productive space for your brain, uh, for creativity. But uh, and I've 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 had this uh, website, and I I don't really know how old it is. I've been probably using this for six or seven years. But I will sometimes when I want a really focused hour of of work at work and turn my email off and shut the phone, ring her off my phone, and want to get something done. This is one of the websites I have uh, bookmarked in every one of my browsers uh, uh, because I like the background and. Um, uh, and it, it's actually oddly calming. And I will also say too that, um, that's the university. Um, that I, one of the things I miss most in the era of COVID is I would quite frequently spend whole Saturday mornings at a coffee shop with my laptop doing not anything in particular or maybe getting something done or not. It's one of the things I miss the most in the era of COVID and can't wait till I can go back and, uh, you know, I have favorite chairs, uh, uh, and, and, and tables at every coffee shop in town. I just, I love coffee shops. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a little bit of coffee shop, but in an app or a website. So coffeeativity.com. That's awesome. Uh, three quick ones for me. Uh, I have been uh, working on websites, restoring sites, and also archiving sites. And so I've been, uh, was searching actually today for a free, hopefully web page editor that is 64 bit and will run on my Big Sur, you know, M1 MacBook Air, yada, 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 uh, and came across this software, which is in beta and it's free right now. It's called X-Way. Um, and it is created by the folks that had uh, created Freeway, which is another web design uh, software. I'm not planning on using this extensively, but um, I need to make some static websites that, you know, have some links uh, for for some web for some WordPress sites. I don't want to run WordPress on anymore. I'm using SiteSucker, thanks to Alan Levine, to pull it down like the web whacker of old. If uh, you're that old to remember what that those days were like when you had to download the websites because you had school computers that weren't even connected with a modem to the Internet. That shows you how old we are around here. Uh, but the website that I've just put something up uh, today was uh, archives.westfriar.com. So that's going to grow in the next few days. And then the last thing is I. I do not blog that often, but I wrote a blog post and it was sharing some pretty cool social media things I've learned. Stories. You know, I've realized those are a thing on Instagram and on Facebook, um, but I've started to share a lot more my posts and a lot of cooking stuff, of course. Um, but I wrote a little post about stories, um, reels, which are, you know, videos that you can just kind of, I guess, mindlessly scroll through. But there's a pretty cool program I discovered for the iPhone called Mojo. And you can create reels for Facebook or Instagram or other social media. And that's kind of cool. So that's it. That's my overshare. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fryer. And hey, speaking of, where can we find you on the Internet? I am W. Fryer on the Twitters. And my websites are all updated as I've been applying for jobs. So just go to westfryer.com and you'll find everything you need to include my teaching portfolio, which I created about a month ago. How about you, Dr. Neffer? I am best found on Twitter, Tech Savvy Teach. Uh, but this here is the EdTech Situation Room. We are a once a week podcast. We broadcast on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central Time, somewhere in the middle of the night, UTC. You can see us live um, on uh, YouTube and Facebook. Uh, you can always go to our Twitter account, edtechsr.com. 
uh, I'm sorry, at EdTech SR, I'm losing it tonight, um, where you can, we, we always broadcast a link out so you can join us live. We hope you would take the opportunity to do that at some point to see us live. If not, you can always find the, the, uh, you can always find the podcast anywhere finer podcasts are aggregated. You can go to our website, edtechsr.com and download, um, an MP3, or you can see the archives on Facebook or YouTube. Um, uh, Stay safe. Stay savvy. <laughs> it's the one AR, ladies and gentlemen. And he did not drop. It. Yeah, and I did not cover the spread. Um, and uh, we hope to see you next time. Um, and in 2022 on That's the right. next Explosion Room. So That's right. Happy good New night. Year, everyone. <laughs>